Welcome to Trinity on Tap, The New Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. John Frederick. And welcome back to Trinity on Tap. This is 2.2, Evangelism Through Embodiment. Evangelism is one of those words that sort of evokes a creepy feeling in many people in a post-Christian society. I mean, even among Christians, it has kind of a bad reputation. It often brings out this image of a cringeworthy street preacher barking theological dogmas at passerbys whilst supporting an elaborate poster of the lake of fire, waxing dreadfully about hell, introducing everyone who passes by to their future abode of baking, like a failed timeshare salesman selling a story about a permanent vacation that nobody wants. It is strange, isn't it? I mean, the gospel, which literally means the good news, so often starts like this. I've got good news for you. You're going to hell. Merry Christmas. Of course, no doubt judgment is real. Okay, separation from God, eternal punishment, those are realities. But in a culture that already denies the truth claims of the Bible and most of the truth claims of Christianity, it really does seem kind of pointless to try to attempt to scare the hell out of people or to scare the hell into people to try to get them into heaven. Perhaps when it comes to evangelism, telling people about the good news of Jesus, perhaps it's better to start with a point of agreement, a point of shared experience, than starting with Dante's Inferno or with a cheesy brochure that looks like someone created it on a dot matrix printer on a Commodore computer from 1984. Far from being a religion focused only on death and sin and condemnation, the Christian faith operates from the standpoint of an already inaugurated eschatology, an already inaugurated new creation. Christian theology recognizes the brokenness of this world, and honestly, it does so in a way that is more comprehensive than any other religion or worldview. Yet, Christian theology and Holy Scripture itself begins and ends not with the destruction of God's good world, but with its creation and with its declaration as very good and with its recapitulation to the fullness of life. And when it comes to evangelizing and finding that point of commonality when we share the gospel, we know that all human beings, Christian or otherwise, are capable of sensing, embodying, and creatively expressing the emotionally multivalent nature of human life through the arts, through the recognition of beauty in nature. It is profound. It is moving. We all feel it. We all sense it. However, because of the illumination of the Spirit, Christians are especially equipped to contribute in helping people to see beyond the common beauty and beyond the brokenness of the present, to see from the perspective of redemption, completion, and the new creation. This is what evangelism is meant to be, not a graphic display of Satan's torture chamber placed next to a stack of dead-out-of-jail-free salvation cards, like a twisted game of eternal monopoly. No, rather illuminated by the Spirit for evangelism, for sharing the good news, Christians exist as resensitized sinner saints, working to experience, expose, refract, and reflect upon God's goodness and beauty 
and God's reconciling love, starting from that common good that exists in all creation, but moving toward the vantage point that only comes from communion with the very life of God through Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians, we have a bit of an introduction to evangelism, and it is eye-opening. Paul writes, and hear the word of God, For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you, because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us, and you became imitators of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, notice that Thessalonians tells us of a church whose reception of the gospel was so spiritually powerful, so authentic, that an entire region was evangelized as a result of the impact of that church's witness. And this reminds me of another passage, Acts 9, verses 1 through 15. There, God commands Ananias to go, to minister to Saul, a man who would later be known as the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote Thessalonians and loads of other New Testament books. God revealed that Saul was meant to become a vessel, which in Greek is skuos, chosen to bear, which in Greek is bastatso, the gospel to the world. Most modern translations render the word skuos as instrument, and they render the verb bastatso as carry or bring. By reading across the New Testament, however, we can get a better understanding of what evangelism meant for everyday Christians, both in Acts and through the whole New Testament. You see, when we interpret Scripture with Scripture, we find that the verb bastazo is actually never used to express message-carrying. It is, however, often used to refer to the bearing of a burden, like in Mark 8, verse 17, where Jesus talks about bearing our illness, or Luke 14, 27, which talks about believers bearing their own crosses in order to be Jesus' disciples, or Galatians 6, verse 2, where the church members are spoken of as bearing one another's burdens. Thus, the words in this context are not referring to the mere instrumental delivery of a message, but to the incarnational embodiment of the message. Paul's call is not to engage in his mission as a postman, but rather to evangelize through embodiment by becoming the message with his whole being in his thoughts, his words, his deeds, bearing the gospel in his body as a vessel for the sake of the world. I love that. 
In fact, elsewhere in his letter to the Galatians, Paul speaks about this embodied way of doing ministry and evangelism by saying that he bears in his body the stigmata to Iesu, which is literally the stigmata of Jesus, the marks of Jesus. This is likely a reference to the wounds in Jesus' hands and side due to his crucifixion. In the same way, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-12, Paul talks about how his ministry of suffering for the sake of others is cruciform, which is a word that comes from the Latin words crux and formata, and this means formed in the way of Jesus' cross, like the cross. So Paul's ministry of self-giving and service looks like death, but it is actually the way to life. Consider Paul's words in 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God. It does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. Likewise, in Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11, Paul tells us, Christians, to adopt the way of Jesus, which is the other-centered, self-giving, death-defeating love displayed on the cross. To embody that, to embrace that, to adopt that way of life, transforms not only us as individuals in the church, it transforms and renews the entire world. Hear what Paul says in Philippians. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion, any sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness, being found in human form, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him, and he gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.
Jesus' own teaching in the Beatitudes, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, demonstrates that embodying the message of Jesus is not an optional ethical addendum to salvation. It is the way we bless and transform the world. It is what we are meant to do, how we are meant to live. It is part of God's plan to bring salvation and life and beauty and blessing to the world. Hear the words of Jesus. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to speak. And he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is not to say that by embodying the gospel, we never need to speak the gospel. Speaking is a part of embodiment. It's an important part. We ought not to be ashamed or afraid of speaking in a gracious and winsome manner about the life-transforming truth of Jesus Christ. Evangelism through embodiment, as we found through reading across the New Testament in this episode, adds to our usual understanding of evangelism. This radical, whole body, whole life commitment to living out the gospel of Jesus Christ is so that every man, woman, and child will come to know God, the God who defeated sin and death as Lord and Savior. What would our churches look like? What would the world look like if every Christian recognized that like the apostles and like Jesus Christ himself, we are meant to bear in our body the stigmata, the marks of the suffering of Jesus Christ for the sake of others? never turning our back on others, never letting go, never turning inward and away, but pouring ourselves out on their behalf. What if we could show by word and deed, by the way we use our social media and by the social causes we support, by the way we spend our time, money, and energy, that we will fight to the death for the life of the world, for the blessing of the world, and even for our enemies because of the inherent worth of creation and the inherent worth and beauty of every human being made in the image of God. What if our Christian faith looked more like a revolution of love than a religion of comfort and capitulation to the corruption of the status quo? What if, in addition to telling people about the power of the cross to save them, 
we also walked in the way of the cross to serve them, giving up our whole selves for people we don't even know because they are of infinite, eternal value to God. As a Christian, when you embody the message, you become more than a messenger, you become a missionary, an incarnation of God's transforming power and love to the world. You are now a missional mom or dad, a missional architect, a missional chef, police officer, student, a missional son or daughter. Evangelism might seem like a scary prospect, but it is the embodiment of the power of God for salvation. And as Paul says in Romans 10, 14 through 15, but how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Did you hear that? How are they to proclaim unless they are sent? Have you been sent? Or are you just occupying a seat on Sunday? You matter. Jesus gave it all to reach you, and he is asking you to give it all to reach the world. And hear me, you are sent. So go and bring Jesus to the ends of the earth. But don't forget that it starts at your dinner table, in your neighborhood, and in your communities. Preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. You know, that's a phrase that's often quoted and attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. You know, the guy who's usually depicted as preaching to wild animals in the wilderness, like a sort of forest-dwelling mix between Dr. Doolittle and a quirky monk. The only problem is, there's no evidence that St. Francis ever said that. And even if he did, none of those animals could have understood him anyway. He'd have been better off if he just said, preach the gospel, and when necessary, bark, howl, or tweet. In all seriousness, though, the phrase has given a lot of introverted Christians comfort. It's given them a license to keep their spirituality private. But God's love for the world is not meant to be private. It's not meant to be a personal treasure. It's meant to be public. It's meant to be universal. It's meant to be an invitation that goes out to all. This doesn't mean we have to speak rudely or unlovingly or inappropriately but that part of embodying the gospel is speaking about Jesus when the opportunity arises and doing so in a way that communicates both the truth about Jesus and the character of Jesus. Believe me, the world is not shy about sharing and legislating and imposing its own ideologies and religions upon you. All of the original apostles were martyred for their belief in Jesus. We have the right and we have the responsibility to speak on behalf of the God who gave his life and rose again for the life of the world. This week, I invite you to read through the book of Acts. Follow along. Catch a glimpse of the early church as they brought the message of Jesus to their world, to their neighborhoods, to their dinner table. 
Think about how you might intentionally embody the gospel and how you might be an incarnation of Jesus in your sphere of influence. You are a missionary, whoever you are. You are sent. Go bring Jesus to the world this week, every day, in word and in deed. Catch you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.